0: And you are live in the studio with Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd here at Triple H 100.1 FM. Thank you for joining us today, lovely listeners. We are joined by another fantastic special guest, uh, which I'm very excited about, actually. I love having authors on the program because, for me, they are just the ultimate researchers. And we're going to be talking to Charles Fairley a little bit later as well. Let's talk about what we're going to discuss on today's show. Um, we're not really great at cheering ourselves on or celebrating the journey that is running a successful small business in general. It's uh, it's lovely that someone like Charles Fairley has that ability to do just that. After experiencing real, genuine, wonderful pride in his father, who was a successful business owner in his own right, achieving amazing things in his life and also as a yacht builder in his business, Charles was inspired to write more about him and, and and others that he found along the way too. When I actually first heard about the book Fifty Unsung Business Heroes, I realised it was uh, it was quite an, a uniquely published work um, because not only does the book sing the praises of small business entrene- entrepreneurs, which we're not great at doing ourselves, and and in fact the the praises that he talks about are not ultimately ones that you would normally hear about in the small business world as well. But also, he celebrates both their successes and their failures, which is a a real ability there. So... It's also a uniquely interesting business model as well, which we're going to talk a little bit with Charles uh, in, in terms of the way to advertise yourself. It's going to be a jam-packed show today, and I'm, I'm really excited to be welcoming Charles Fairley, the publisher and author of 50 Unsung Business Heroes. Welcome to the studio.
1: Thanks, Alexi. Good to be here.
0: Indeed. And we met a little while ago, and we were talking a little bit about your book, and it's it really is a fascinating story because I always find when I meet guests who are passionate about what they do, and somehow it's linked with a bit of family history, it's it's so much more rich um, and and interesting the way that they uh, the way that you connect with your past. Can you t- tell me a little bit about your journey, how you got to what what it is you're doing, and why you're so passionate about it?
1: Sure, thanks, Alexa. Yeah, it just makes it all that much more genuine, I think, doesn't it? If there's a real story behind it. So my background from a work sense was always in the media. So I'd worked at Channel Nine and uh, Macquarie Radio, which is Two GB and Two CH and then later at AAP, but all those uh, roles were with marketers and helping small business um, promote their business and Mm -hmm. use the media and and run their advertising and that sort of thing. So I got to know a lot of business owners and um, how they functioned and how much passion they had in their business and where it came from. And so meeting those great people um, inspired me to um, talk about my dad because he had a small business as well.
0: And tell me a bit about that because it's um, in, if you look at your LinkedIn profile, which is is fantastic, by the way, it, it it opens up with quite a dramatic story. Can you can you tell the listeners about that?
1: Sure. Yeah. I I uh, when I was six years old, I nearly drowned and um, fell off the back of a yacht that my dad was uh, not racing, but just test sailing. Really, with my family, we are all young kids under six. I was the oldest, and then my mum, who'd never sailed much, and Dad had never put up a spinnaker before on a boat and we had another family with us who were also novices and it was the middle of winter up at Gosford and uh, I stupidly fell off the back of this boat and um, they sailed off into the distance and there was, uh, you know, it was the middle of winter and it was cold and miserable and now were the boat's out on the water and so it was pretty scary. I was off school for a month and had double pneumonia and a couple of weeks in hospital. and My, dad, my dad was pretty sick as well because he dived in after me and ended up grabbing onto me and of course at that age, at six years old, you're you're worried about the monsters and the sharks and the terrible things in the water underneath you. So I was struggling and panicking and he gradually calmed me down. But eventually a little tiny, um, what's called a moth little sailing dinghy came along and grabbed us, which was so lucky. Mm. And, um, you know, we we were rescued, thankfully, but Dad had dived in with fully with, with his woolen jumpers and corduroy pants and pockets full of keys and wallet and all that sort of stuff. He just turned and dived, sort of thing. So, <laughs>
0: Wow, that's a full-on it's, on story.
1: It's terrible. I could have died, definitely. So I was very lucky, very and, lucky to be here. And it
0: gives you a bit of insight into the sort of, man, I don't think anybody out there who's a father would do anything different, no. but... At the opening with that story is interesting because it really shows the connection that you had with him. But tell us about your dad, who was a small business owner himself and why he inspired you so much.
1: Well, he was a bit of an innovator and he was a fiberglass pioneer. He he moved from powerboats, uh, ski boats and so forth. He was a mercury dealer for the Central Coast, all through a process of evolution over the long term. And then he, in the 1960s, he realized that there was potential for sailing and he noticed in America that the trends that were... Uh, coming on and read some magazines and what have you Mm. and designed a boat in 65 called the Klansman and from there they went on to build a business producing viperglass yachts Um, they've made about 250 over the next 35 years Mm. they had 40 staff at their peak so it was a good sized business um and yeah, he had some good wins in the City to Hobart race, different divisions, and you know he had a great career, and he's um, had quite a few write-ups in magazines, and he actually just passed away in June, so... We got some great obituaries published for him, which was a nice touch as well So, so we actually used our story that we published in the book in, as the basis of a lot of the obituaries, which is nice
0: oh that 's lovely and so he was of course a feature in in your first in your first book. Yeah. How did you choose uh, who was going to be part of it I guess in a way sure. did it start with who inspired you or how did it, how well, did it grow
1: originally I, I thought because it did evolve as you say, it grew out of out of an idea and originally i had some criteria around you know business turnover and some quantitative things like staff numbers and length of time in business and because mm. i wanted to hear what they'd learnt and obviously you have to have some time in business to have experience but but then we started engaging with people and they were sharing things like their passion and their purpose and why they were doing it and their you know some people shared about their mental health issue or they might have had a failure that nearly led to bankruptcy and how they turned that around and i thought that's so much more powerful and so much more authentic and engaging. It's a no-brainer that if there's someone with an inspiring story over someone with a, a billion-dollar story, I'm going to take the inspiring story first. Mm. You know, so that's that sort of became the became much more qualitative than quantitative.
0: It's like listening to the the journey that people go on rather than you don't want to just hear about the success and someone positioning themselves as an expert. You want to hear about the successes and the failures, definitely.
1: Yes, absolutely, and it humanizes the business. I mean, if if you had an accountant tell you about his turnover and his length of time in business or you had him telling you about his mental health issues and how it's been hereditary and his father did this and his mother did that... Mm then that's the one you're going to really remember and engage with and and really relate to far better, aren't you?
0: Oh, absolutely. And and I think I think that those that's what makes those people interesting in the book. They are relatable. Um yep. they're people that because we're all in small business together, we we understand what the pitfalls and the successes and the highs and the lows are. Sure. So, um with the the can you give me another example of someone who was in the first book who was particularly interesting as well as of course your father?
1: Yeah, I mean there's 50 great stories in there, of course. So it's 50 unsung business heroes, but Um, One that really stood out was uh, a guy called Daniel Davis, who runs a business in Sydney. Um, Daniel had a really tough upbringing in the western suburbs, and he basically left home at 13. He'd had three stepfathers by then, and they'd all been in jail, had guns and drug-related crime in the family, alcohol abuse, all that sort of, you name it. And for him to have the wherewithal on the the mouse at 13 to move out, still put himself through school, still managed to get his uh, education wow. and then move into business that was for me that was phenomenal especially I have two teenagers and I couldn't imagine them being so resourceful <laughs> you know.
0: and what is it what is it that he does now what's what's his success
1: he runs an, a system called EOS which is uh, training and systems for business wow. so he started out running IGA, outlets up in the Blue Mountains. And he grew that into a substantial business. And now he helps other businesses.
0: You know, that reminds me of that, um, that series, I think, from the ABC. Was it Seven Up? It was sort of based on the British series. Yes. And I remember seeing the young kid who was really like the kid from the roughest family, very obviously, in the group. Um, and they did a test. They would always constantly be testing them for their um, abilities. And they were testing for resourcefulness. And he blew the others out of the water, yep. and then they went back to some footage of him, uh, you know, dabbling around the house. And he was—I mean, you could see it. I mean, he was the eldest of something like seven children under seven, and he was getting his own two-minute noodles, and he was preparing his own dinners, and he was looking after his own family sure. members, and he was a second mum. Sure. And and that is a skill, I guess. That that y- your your um uh, the guy that you you yeah. highlighted in the book had Daniel the same Davis. thing. Daniel Davis.
1: Yeah, and you just. They build more resilience, more independence, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they're going to have a stronger life, uh, more more uh, productive life because of it, I think. So he was just one out of the 50. There are other people who talked about their mental health. Uh, one guy's mother suicided and his auntie suicided, and his dad tried twice to suicide, and he was bipolar, but the, the, the angle we took on it was, what's he doing about it, how is he coping in business with it, and what positives come out of it? So he... He had a team around him to help him manage his bipolar. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they worked out some systems and so forth. And, you know, he he wanted to tell other people in business about that because the position of CEO is one of the loneliest in business. There's a board above you sometimes and there's a lot of staff below you, but there's no one on your level. Mm. So CEOs tend to. Uh, not have people that they can bounce ideas off and really uh, relate to and talk to. That's why there's a lot of these groups like the CEO Institute and tech and different ones where all CEOs come together.
0: But they've only been around for a handful of years, right? That's right, right yeah. That's the, Before that, I mean, people like your father and, and those in the book would have struggled along yeah. by themselves. And I think that that's a really interesting point is that one of the things that um, that's being highlighted with, with things like such as your book is... The importance of being aware of, of mental health issues when you're in small yep. business yep. and what you can do to get help as well, and
1: also the great support from family. I mean, my mum was, you know, a stay-at-home mum, but she was in the office typing up all the letters and taking the phone calls. And Saturdays, she was in there doing things. So she
0: was an office manager, essentially. Yeah,
1: exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And
0: that's the case with a lot of a lot of small businesses. I think it isn't is, it? Yeah. yeah, that yeah. the whole family gets involved. Totally. Yeah. So yep. I think that's um I think it's an interesting point that you make in the book is that there is that isolation. And that we need to find ways of connecting with others. Tell yeah. me when you when you worked with each of these people, did you find a way of bringing all of your um, guests, not guests, but the people who were in the book together, and to, to, to discuss these sort of issues, or was it more that they came from different? I'm just curious as to how you handpicked those people and where they came from in your journey.
1: There was more through introductions and referrals, and me doing research around LinkedIn and and going to social networking functions and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So. A lot of them were also clients of mine when I was at Channel 9 or 2GB for example so uh, Paul Denny Conveyancing, who people might know from the radio oh, yeah. and yeah. Uh, people like that that you, you hear on air so mm-hmm. yeah there's some great uh, longevity in business and great stories and we interviewed the guy who brought Caesar Stone to Australia for example and he worked with Gerry Harvey for 25 years so his learning and his work ethic was extraordinary. Um, you know there's so many great stories. Once you dig below the surface, there's fascinating stories behind every business, I think.
0: Yeah, that's right, and I think that's what's interesting about your pro- your process as well. If you look at uh, your website, you can see that it's not just about um, interviewing people for the book just to get some notes, which is how I visualised it initially, but no. you actually produce um, some video content as well. Yep. Can you tell me why it's important to have a bit of a balance between the written word and the and the and the visual content? For anyone who's trying to position themselves?
1: Yeah, I think video particularly is very important these days. Um, There's some stats on Facebook serving up so many billion videos a day and people are so used to consuming video as their their, uh, media of choice, I Mm. think, these days. But the book for me still stands out because it's a tactile, beautiful uh, corporate gift almost that you can give to someone. You can't give someone a link to an e-book. Yes. It's got to have that quality feel and, uh, you know, it's... uh, it's important for people's first impressions, and I'm dealing with people's reputations and their, the impression of those people. Yeah. So it's got to be a first-rate production, which we've very um, been very careful to make sure that it is, and that mm. cross, crosses into the digital content as well. So the video we do and the podcast and all the photography, uh, it's got to be, you know top class.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's an important thing to note if you're looking at finding a way. And I'm going to talk a little bit after the break about your actual business model because I think it's quite interesting that balance of all the different media with your experience, of course, in media is is an important thing to find. Um, But it's about that quality, isn't it? It's really just about being that one step above and not just producing something that's a bit...
1: Yes, if you want to have appeal, Mm. but also it's about the um, learnings that people can share because we ask everyone about their business advice and and that puts them in a position of being a thought leader because they've been through something that they can share and other people can learn from that. And I think that's really important that we're not reinventing the wheel with all these problems that are out there and business face all these issues. Mm. Other people have faced it already. Let's learn from each other.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters and come back after these community service announcements and talk more to Charles Fairley about his book, 50 Unsung Heroes. We'll be back after this. So we're back in the room today and we are talking to Charles Fairley, who is the author of 50 Unsung Business Heroes, uh, something I came across via LinkedIn uh, probably a few months ago now and was just fascinated with the concept and the idea of producing a work that celebrates small business because we're not so great at celebrating ourselves. And Charles does just that. And he does it through a process of interviewing and also having some video content as well. And more importantly, the final thing that is produced is uh, is quite a high quality book and it's hard copy and it's something that's tangible. Let's talk about those tangible, genuine connections, Charles. Why do you think uh, social media stuff just doesn't cut it anymore? Why is it got to be more about the, you know, the, the feel and, and really meeting someone in the flesh.
1: I think, I think all business benefits from having that face-to-face meeting because that's really where the genuine relationship is. I'm sure you can make a phone call, you can send an email, but what's happening at the other end of that, Mm -hmm. you don't know. And Mm. really, you know, coming from my, my background being in account management, you don't achieve anything like, uh, like a face-to-face meeting if you're just doing the, the superficial touch points, if you like. um, so for me to create a physical book was really important because that enabled people to give out a, a beautiful gift face-to-face and there's mm. a space in the front for you to sign a little spot and say thanks for being a great customer or welcome on board or happy birthday or whatever it is. You mm. know? So it's a corporate gift idea and as I said earlier, you can't give out a, a link no. as a corporate gift to an e-book. So no, the, that's right. So the quality and the, the tactile aspect of it was really important to me um, to have that physical element. Yeah.
0: And it was funny what you were saying about something to actually hand out because, I mean, one of the things we all do as small business owners is is if we want to put ourselves out there is really start hitting the networking circuit as much as you can. Sure. And it's a balance, isn't it? You've got to have a presence on LinkedIn. You've got to have a decent looking bio and you've got to have a good corporate headshot. All those things are very important. You've got to have a good looking website and an ability for your customers to reach out to you digitally. Absolutely. But if you don't meet people, then you're faceless.
1: That's right. Mm. You could be just some figment of a social media campaign that doesn't really exist, couldn't you?
0: Could I ask you on a personal level, when you transitioned out of that media world and started your own business, um, did you find it particularly easy because you'd already been in that whole networking, getting to know you space? Did you find it quite easy to transition into that consultant space where you had to put yourself out there? Was that, was that, was that a bit of a hurdle?
1: No, it was a similar kind of space, as you say, um, but I still had to go and uh, see people face-to-face because I was putting a new concept to them mm. and uh, you know I was also asking for referrals and introductions from people and you can't uh, rely on that on an email or or a phone call it's really got to be a face-to-face meeting and sit down with them show them the mock-up they can touch it they can feel it they can see the photos that you're planning on using whatever it is um, and really get them on board
0: yeah, um,
1: and get them engaged literally um, and not just a, a flippant, yes, I'll look at it later kind of thing. It's it's so important.
0: I like that you've mentioned there that something tangible to actually bring because I think so many times we go, oh, yeah, I'll meet you for coffee and we'll get to know each other. Mm, but what, what is the end result of that? What are we trying to achieve? Yes, I always, always appreciate it when people sit down and they go, okay, this is what I do. These are the referrals I'm looking for. Now, it's a bit obtuse in a way, but at the same time it gets to the point and you're not fluffing about for half an hour and yeah. you go, okay, well, that's why we're here and... Almost like you need to set an agenda for these coffee things yes, I guess. You're
1: setting the expectations, aren't you? Yeah. Which is important for both sides, I think. Yeah. Um, you can still do the social stuff, of course. You can talk about the kids or the footy or whatever it is, and mm-hmm. that's great too. And that's a perfect way of engaging with people as well.
0: Yeah. I, I, like, the, I like the whole tangible thing. I think the, the, the meetings I've felt the most productive in are ones where I have sat down with people and said, look, I've got this great idea. What do you think? And let me tell you, you never have someone say no when you ring them up and say, hey, can I – you know, give you an idea about what I'm thinking of doing and I really want your opinion. Nobody says no to that. Everyone is very flattered to be asked, you know, to be giving their opinion about something. But you've got to have something to show them. You can't just go, I've got this idea and then write down some stuff on some notepaper. You've got to have something ready to go, almost be ready.
1: Sure. And that's kind of the same philosophy in the book. We're asking people for their advice. Mm. So it's putting them in a position of being an expert.
0: Yeah, and having the advice ready to go.
1: Exactly, exactly. And a lot of people write books and generate books as a marketing tool, but... I see that as uh, a great concept but putting 50 people into one book elevates it to another positioning statement because it looks like they've been selected Yes. rather than here's a book I wrote, which is great, mm-hmm. but here's a book that I'm, I've been featured in, I've been chosen because I've got something, to, something of value to add.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Now, you yourself have been in the, in the publishing world for, for quite a while so you're familiar with it. How, uh, how did you find that transition between media... And, and I guess, um, did you say you were with AAP, so you would have had some publishing and magazines and yep, and yep. that idea, but that, that move towards books, um, was that a particularly difficult hurdle to get across or was it, was it easy because you were already in that world? Did you have the contacts?
1: Uh, no, it was a new area for me. My media background was more electronics, so TV and radio, but a little bit of content uh, and the written side at AAP, as you said. Mm. So they're were, they were a, a joint venture between uh, News Limited and Fairfax and they generate a lot of the what I'd call wholesale news stories, so all the basic stuff. They, they have more journalists there than at Fairfax, for example. So well, I
0: have more journalists here than at Fairfax.
1: Yeah, well, that's not a, not a, not a tough number, I guess, <laughs> yeah, is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's shrinking, unfortunately, Yeah, like all newsrooms. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah, but um, no, in terms of the transition, it was really more about um, learning how that side of things worked, getting some new skills and just... Jumping in and taking the risks and learning on the job, really.
0: And, and that's 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 what I think is very fascinating about your story in itself. Is mm-hmm. that all consultants who go from having a job and being in that world for up to decades, then suddenly saying, "Nope, I'm going to take this this new step and and make something." Now, having a product there and an idea of a concept of a product, I guess, makes it a bit easier. But yep. how hard do you think it is for people um, who have been in in those si- situations and moving into consultants? With only just saying, well, I've only got my skill set. Um, what would be your advice to those people who are transitioning into the small business world?
1: Uh, I think you can learn a lot online as well. So if there are some holes or some weaknesses, you can certainly top those up. But I would pick out three or five contacts who are in the market where you're going to be taking your business, mm-hmm. and say to them, "This is my idea. I want to get your thoughts. Um, how would you be? What would? You, how would you react if I came and approached you about?" Um, You being a client of mine, or whatever it is, and make sure they're the right match—not your mother-in-law or whatever it is. So, people who are (laughs) who's
0: going to tell you everything's fabulous? Yeah, Yeah. that's right.
1: You want to have genuine uh, uh, responses, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, make sure that they're in that industry, they've got some background and some intelligence they can share with you, and get that feedback.
0: Mm, And that feedback—that's that's that's gold, isn't it? Really, people in in that space who you know you would be targeting but you're not going to because they're your mates. Sure. But you really want to have that really constructive, no, no, we don't like that bit about your website or no, that collateral, that's too wordy or there's too much information there. I want to see bullet points. Everyone's always talking about making things so simplified and less wordy, which is interesting because your book is a book and it's it's words in it.
1: Yes. I'm a contrarian, aren't I?
0: (laughs) Is the layout really important? Let's talk a little bit about about books and and, um, and that world and producing the printed edition. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm very, I love formatting. I'm a big fan of formatting, being an admin person. Mm-hmm. So how do you uh, – where do you start with that? Do you get someone on board that's a creative that specialises in in the formatting of these things?
1: Yeah, I had a print layout graphic artist. That, that um, skill's not one of mine, yeah. unfortunately. And I had an editor to help me as well, so the wordsmith side of things because my spelling and grammar and punctuation is mm-hmm. 90% but it's not 100%. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, some input to have there. And now we, al- we also hire a journalist – so they write it up from our electronic interview. They write the story and create the words. So when we interview someone, we capture about eight or 9,000 words in the hour, and we only need 3,000 words. So it's a real distillation and, and editing down to get the real gems and the, the really valuable stuff and, and feature those points.
0: And now that you've got one of these books produced, do you find it easier to then go to the next step and say, Oh look, would you be interested in being in the second or the third book Because or you actually you've got the second book now?
1: Well the second one's not finished yet. So we've got thirty seven interviews done now. So we're three quarters of the way there to the hitting <laughs> the very, magic fifty. Yeah,
0: it's a very distinct target, isn't it? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's very um Do
0: you have a a, a date where you're expected to launch?
1: Uh, early next year at this stage. So it just depends when we get the final 12 or 13 people on board Mm -hmm. get that get those interviews done because it's hard for people to fit it in in their busy schedule but we do try to create the least disruption as possible so it's all done in about two to three hours in their office and we as I say minimize the disruption Mm. we do video podcast or social media photography everything gets done in the one sitting so um
0: so you've got to be quite organized then
1: yeah, I've got a, lots of good systems in place. Yeah, that, that
0: actually segues nicely to the to the process of things. I'm always fascinated mm. by processes and procedures. So your first step is to uh, do you would you suggest if someone was interested in doing something like this, or even just writing a book? Because I think everyone says what's well, the latest thing. People say there's a book in me. Everyone's got a book sure, in them. Sure. So if they're thinking about doing that, do you start with content first, or do you start with Chapter headings, how do you, how do you, what would you suggest is the best way to go about it? I think it?
1: you need that skeleton of the chapter headings mm-hmm. and then you fill that out as you go along and that allows you to shuffle and, and move things around. But a skillful editor is invaluable, definitely.
0: So that's one of the good people you need to yeah. surround yourself with.
1: There's a lot of, um, lot of half-finished books in bottom drawers yeah. <laughs> out there. Which are just words. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes they ramble on and they don't have any um, rhyme or reason. So it's important to get that structure, I think.
0: And I think it needs to be digestible because one of the things that I I appreciated when I saw your book was that it's very um, easy to read because you've got the chunks of of text in different formats and there's lots of pictures and it's explanatory. Would you suggest that that, graphic designer person that specialises in publishing is, is quite crucial as well to the process.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You've got to take a lead from them because they've done it before, especially if it's your first book. Mm-hmm. Um, take that on board and look at other books as well. So get ideas. Um, you know, nothing's original these days. Even my concept's not original. So um, there's a lot of other compilation books out there. I guess one thing that we do a little bit differently is that we write it all rather than expect other people to write their, their chapters. So.
0: Yeah, ghost writing. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Because that sort of comes back around to what we were talking about, being, di- I don't want to say disingenuous, I don't want to say that, but um, to me, do you think it's better to have things in your own words? Is it, is it a true reflection of yourself? Do you think people will read it and go, that is such a ghostwriter thing?
1: Why well, you- I, th- I think a good ghostwriter doesn't appear in the book. Hence a ghost. That's right. Mm. So they're invisible. Yeah. So yeah, if they've got a smart way of operating, they'll, they'll, they won't leave a footprint, but they'll use all your content and all your ideas and your themes and what you're trying to say and your messages.
0: And I suppose that's the point of having that content first. You yep. can't sit down with a ghostwriter and go, I want to write a book about sales and marketing.
1: Yep.
0: <laughs> and other, that's it. That's all I've got.
1: <laughs> the other great way of doing it, which was shown to me by someone, was an audio version so you can dictate on and get it, subscri- get it transcribed, rather, is the right word. Uh-huh. And that's a great way of doing it too.
0: There are some apps out there apparently now that do yep. transcriptions. I wouldn't suggest doing that if you've got particularly complicated Spellings of things, but no. um, I guess there is a bit more of an automated service. Although I don't know, Siri still gets zero wrong whenever I'm talking about bookkeeping.
1: Sure,
0: <laughs> sure, you can't trust it hundred <laughs> percent. So that's that's interesting in terms of the processes. You you want to start with a skeletal starting point, uh, a bit of a framework, if you will, like some scaffolding. Yeah, and then do yeah. you just sort of fill in the gaps?
1: Yeah, just build that and have a journey as you go through that it can be chronological or it can be in terms of the concept being developed that you're trying to work on.
0: And how important do you think it is that you make sure that you've connected with the reader as a person? Do you think it's important to include a little bit about yourself, apart from the bio at the front? Because a lot of your stories are about people and their journeys and their failures and their successes. Do you think that's an important element to add into the book?
1: I think it's very important to have that reason why that has become your passion. What is your purpose? What was the incident or the event or or the upbringing or whatever it was that influenced you. Mm. And then there's a basis, there's a foundation for everything you're saying Mm. rather than uh, just having a concept and where's it come from and why are you saying that. And so the rationale and the history and all those things add to it and give it so much more uh, kudos and and credibility, don't they?
0: Yeah, and genuineness.
1: Yeah, Mm. it's that authenticity that people talk about. I've got a fantastic guy who helps me with behavioral marketing. He's a brand influencer. Uh, he's running around the world doing what, what, different things. What
0: does he do? As like, is he is he a sportsman? I always hear about these things. Is he a sportsman? Is he a
1: no? He's a wordsmith and a behavioural marketing expert, and he he really gets in behind the story and digs down to the next level. And that's what I need for my interviews is to get to that the purpose underneath the beating heart, if you know what I mean.
0: So another good person to have is almost like at the psychological level.
1: Yeah, he's very much working on that level. His name's Stephen DeSady Hmm. and um, you'll see him on a lot of my LinkedIn posts and he's actually speaking at our event which is a week from now in Sydney. so oh,
0: we'll get that put on the Small Business Matters calendar for
1: Fantastic. you. Fantastic.
0: So, <laughs> um, uh, you know, you've got these great people around you. You've got the editor, which is obviously crucial. Um, I mean, I wouldn't pretend to try and be able to construct more than about a paragraph on my <laughs> own. Then you've got the, the graphic designer who specialises in publishing. You've got the – almost the – I mean, I, I think it's worth even getting someone – Maybe in this space, but maybe not in this space, to read it and say, oh, definitely. you're not yep. really connecting. I don't really understand what yep. it is you're writing. or The psychology of it, that's a really interesting person to,
1: to yeah, include. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And you can do that. You know, you can run drafts and you can send it out to people mm. uh, and get their opinions split up and just send a chapter to each different person if they're an expert in that what the chapter's talking about, for example.
0: Yes. Oh, that's a great idea. Use the people around you, those genuine connections. Exactly. And then
1: give them a credit in the front and they'll be very happy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or a couple of spare books. (laughs) Uh, Look, we're going to take another break here on Small Biz Matters and be back after this. But when we return, I want to talk about bringing such a product to market because it's not an easy task. um, And I think it would be interesting to learn from you as the expert there, Charles. Welcome to – you are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this. And you're back in the studio with Small Biz Matters. That was just a very short ad break. We only had time to take our headphones off and come straight back in. So we're talking to Charles Fairley, who is, of course, the publisher and author of 50 Unsung Business Heroes, a unique product. And I want to talk about bringing that product to market because all of us as small business owners, we have a thing, a widget, whether it's our skill set or it's a thing or a like literally a widget you put on your phone, something. And it's hard to bring that into the market, but I think it's particularly difficult in a world where there's a bit of ups and downs when it comes to books. Sure. So so what was your initial, do you have a target for the number that you produce and what are your expectations with getting it out there?
1: Yeah, it's a very different model actually, Alexi. So I realised that a retail was under a lot of pressure, mm. and uh, you know the Amazons of the world and that sort of thing. But also, B bookshops were under a lot of pressure, and books generally were being uh, pressurized by things like eBooks and Kindle and that sort of thing. So, uh, and having said that, I don't think books are going away. It's similar to when video came in and we thought cinemas would die out. They've still got a great place, of course. So, books to me really have a fantastic place still t- to um, to offer in the
0: hard copy, of course. In the hard yeah. copy,
1: yeah, hard copy books. And at the same time, I wanted to take the risk out from what I was doing in terms of the distribution and I didn't want to get boxes of books sent back to me after three months as returns from the bookstores. And so the way my model works is everybody who goes into the book actually gets some books to give out to their clients as a corporate gift. So my initial thought was, well, a lot of people give out a bottle of champagne or a food hamper at Christmas or they win a big contract, give out a bottle of red wine maybe. Mm-hmm. But A lot of those things get consumed and they, they're gone in a matter of weeks whereas a book stays around forever and it adds so much value and it's got 50 interesting stories in it and I just thought there's so much more appeal to giving a valued client something like that that really will help them and, and they'll get a lot out of it rather than something with your logo on it.
0: Yeah, well, exactly, or something that's uh, consumed or, or mm. just it can be exactly. an, or electronic, which is ultimately going to be phased out, yes. for want of a better word. Yeah, I love the look and feel of it. That's obviously very important. So if this is something that you're considering as a hard copy yes. um, and you can imagine it in bookshelves in businesses all over the place, like like your book, what, um, what would you give as the top tips for making sure that it's something that people hang on to?
1: I think you have to invest a little bit extra to go that extra mile. If people can see you're cutting corners, then they're going to realise that you're just doing it as a flippant marketing exercise Mm. and the value won't be perceived.
0: Could I ask you, is that the difference between soft copy and hard copy?
1: I think so. Mm. Yeah, soft copy, um, you know, with the flexible covers, so people understand that, they're more likely to get damaged. They're not so – it's more like a textbook it's not so valued as a beautiful coffee table book mm-hmm. and I think those are the ones that end up in prior place in receptions or in people's studies where they're going to get viewed by other people and my whole concept was to share these stories and I want people to see them. So I want them to be shared and left out where people can pick them up and see them and, and both online and, and in hard copy.
0: And it's obviously important to be in both of those places. So, um, your model is to ensure that the people who are in the book are the ones who distribute. Do you go into bookshops as well? Have you found that that's something that's. We
1: evolved? are. We're online um, just for a small amount of retail. So, we do Booktopia.com, mm-hmm. Booktopia.com.au and mm-hmm. also Angus and Robertson, which I think is now owned by Booktopia. So All online. Yeah, that's all online. Yeah.
0: yeah. Did yeah. you... It, I don't
1: I don't have any retail presence of hard copy books.
0: Is that something that if you were thinking about doing this for yourself and you, inv- you have the, a vision of being in bookshops, um, what's your thoughts on that? Is that...
1: It's a pretty tough. Yeah. It's a bit like saying I'm going to be a, a Hollywood celebrity. You know, there's <laughs> one in a billion that <laughs> yeah, gets actually yeah. out there on the shelves. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very hard. The margins are very low, even for accomplished and, and experienced publishers. Um, you know they're taking punts all the time. So for a, a genuine beginner, mm. I would say it's very difficult.
0: And 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 of course, uh, if you're going on this journey yourself, there's a lot of output. I assume so you've got to make sure that your business model is something that gives gives back apart from just the printed copy or the e-copy? is. Yes. That, would you assume that's the best way to go about
1: it? Absolutely. The digital contents become more and more important. Mm. We started out just doing a book and we did a little video highlight reel from that. But now we've got a podcast of that. We've got the social media images. We've got a page on our website that people can share as a link as well. So they all cross promote and each help each other. So it's important to have that ecosystem of support, I think.
0: It's like, it's like anything with small business. If you're going to have a product, you're not just going to be selling it in one way. No. No, it's, it's always got to be, oh, I've got to maybe try a little bit here, try a bit there. It's got to be multi-pronged.
1: Yeah. Well, isn't that, It's it, one it's, of the
0: things with being small business it makes it so hard. You've got to be across so many different channels.
1: Sure. Well, that's the old marketing issue, isn't it? Mm. I, I know half my advertising doesn't work, but I'm not sure which half. So it's, you've got to do it all. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then I've got to test it and by then I've... I've done it all anyway, yeah. so I might as well just leave it all out there. But it's
1: also the sum of the parts are far greater than the individual items, so you have to have that social support and, and be on Facebook and perhaps Instagram if you've got a visual product. Uh, and it's definitely LinkedIn if it's a B two B. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's a must. I'm am becoming more and more of a fan of the the must that yep. is that is LinkedIn.
1: Yep. I link up with everyone that approaches me. So link up everybody.
0: Uh, and they've <laughs> got to be and they've got to be genuine. I don't play yes. whack a mole. I no. don't like the whole da 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 da. No, you've got to have a chat to them, or you've got to meet with them, or yep. have them on a radio show. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to ask as well. Um, I think everybody understands the concept of what is a uh, an author, and and. Um, but what, 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 in your mind, as a small business, is a publisher?
1: Well, to me, the, the author does the writing, but the publisher does the – the publisher's like the hub. So the publisher brings the editor, the writer, the photographer, the print aspect, the artwork. It all comes together via the publisher. So the, the publisher's the hub or the axle of the wheel, mm. and then you've got all the satellites hanging off the publisher. So they're responsible, obviously, for the business model as well
0: kind of like uh if you're producing a a bit of video content or film content you've got the director and the writer Mm
1: -hmm. and they're
0: kind of doing the content but the producer is the one that sticky tapes it all together and brings all the people together that's it and 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 you're and that's that's what i find quite interesting this isn't just an author writing a book and then you slap down the manuscript a la mad men in front of someone else (laughs) (laughs) Sure, (laughs) you've actually got some a lot of people that are the working parts of it
1: yeah and i didn't need a a separate publisher, I, I thought I could take on that role. So I liaise directly with the printer and the distributor and it's all done through me basically. Mm, yep.
0: So you're overseeing it. Yeah. So it's like anything, any small business, you're the one who's sort of controlling everything as it goes along.
1: Yeah, and that's the best way to have full knowledge of what's going on in your business too, of course.
0: So so moving forward, do you envisage this um, reproducing several more times? Do you think there's enough f- unsung business heroes out there to, to produce a number of these books? Ah,
1: well definitely. I think there's thousands of unsung business heroes that we don't know about. We had Scott Morrison at our first book launch and he said there's hundreds if not thousands of heroes out there running small business because he was very, at the time, treasurer, very pro the SME economy and he was promoting uh, you know the jobs that small business are responsible for. and All of them. It's really the foundation of the economy. So yes, he mm. said... And, and that's kind of inspired me to say, well, yeah, I can do another one and then maybe another one after that and maybe change the title and have the same format and same concept but a different heading or whatever. And, you know, we could do um, great agricultural stories. We could do the well, finance yes. industry. We could do the media industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Absolutely. We could just
1: do Sydney and just Melbourne. You know, there's so many ways of slicing and dicing it. Aren't there?
0: Is there one group of people who are really bad at talking about themselves and singing their own praises?
1: Um, I think generalising, but women in business often are a bit harder to promote themselves. They find it harder, I think, um, and I'm very conscious of that because I'm trying to have a balance in the books. We had 25% female business owners in our first book, and so I'm I'm keen to have the gender balance as well as the cultural balance. You know, it's there's some fantastic stories about migration and people who've come from other countries. Maybe they're the first generation, but you know, those stories are really the ones that make you realise how lucky we are to live in this country.
0: Yeah, yeah, from what the the past is, what they've come. Sure. So speaking of the women in in the books, are they? is it that they difficulty um, talking about the difficulties or is it because they can't talk about their success in any sort
1: of sense of... I think there's a little bit of that imposter syndrome Mm. that creeps in. Mm. And I think also women are more uh, face-to-face, one-on-one than men. Men will stand up in front of a crowd and engage with 100, whereas women want to go and sit in a corner, have a coffee and do it a different way. Mm-hmm. And neither way is better, but they're just just different, I think.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting insight into, because obviously you would have interviewed so many people for for the possibility of coming on there. It's interesting insight to look at that gender difference, if yes, you will.
1: Yes, and the Australian tall poppy syndrome comes into play there too, I think.
0: Still? Yeah. God, I haven't heard that expression in years. I
1: know, but people don't like to stick their head up above the parapet and, you know, they want to keep their success as a private thing sometimes, which I have to understand and I respect that, of course. But people from overseas tend to be more into self-promotion.
0: Really? Yeah. Because they're so happy and proud to have been here and been embraced and had that success? I
1: think that's part of it and also the fact that they're adventurers to start with. They've yeah. they left, left another country. <laughs> often sometimes under
0: pretty bad circumstances yeah. sometimes,
1: yeah. Yeah. Often come here with nothing or some of them not even with an English language skill, Um There's a guy we're interviewing for the next book who came from Tehran, couldn't speak English. He was nine months in a detention camp in Victoria and now he's got a multi-million dollar broadband business. It runs nationally and he's just so successful.
0: That's phenomenal. Isn't and, it? Uh, isn't it lucky we we uh, brought him to the country as quickly as possible to Absolutely. embrace that and, and make him part of the economy. Exactly. Scott Morrison. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, look, I wanted to thank you very much for sharing your story today on the program. It's It's been really interesting. Give us a little bit of um, insight into when the next book is coming out, where people can find out more, and about your event next week as well.
1: Oh, thanks, Alexi. I appreciate that. Yeah, the events that... Um, The RAC, but it's on Eventbrite. If people just search Unsung Business Heroes and Eventbrite, they should come up with that. It's a free event. There's two speakers. One is a chap who we've we've interviewed for the next book and his name's Andre Alfonso and his business is all about leadership and training, but he's talking about executive presence and how we can learn more about that and have more executive presence. Mm. And the other speaker is Stephen Desady, who is the person I mentioned earlier, who's our behavioral expert. And his insights and his... uh, his um, observations about human bio-behavior and how to generate uh, really engaging content, they're so invaluable. I thoroughly rec- recommend anyone that wants to find out more about uh, the Desede Academy that he runs. Hmm. Spelt spelled D-E-S-E-D-E, mm-hmm. Stephen with a P-H, mm-hmm. D-E-S-E-D-E. Uh, but our, our, our book will come out early next year. We've got, as I said, another 12 or 13 people to uh, identify and meet and interview. Um uh, so the site there for us is unsung dot com dot au and there's fifty great stories from series one on there now that people can uh, read about. It's all free, you don't even don't even have to put your email address in, so we're not capturing a database or anything like that. And all the videos are on YouTube. We've had nearly 18,000 views on YouTube. Oh, fantastic. So the numbers are creeping up and it's becoming really significant, which is very pleasing.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on thank the program to here to Triple H 100.1 FM. My pleasure. Uh, we'll be back next week with another fantastic guest here on Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. I will see you all next week on
1: Triple H 100.1 FM. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you then.